out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of a Norwich-based band that uh, were formed in the very early 80s, 80 to 81. It is the one and only Test Card F, because I spoke to... Vince Rogers, very recently, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. They had several singles out on Bax Records in Norwich, and also they did a John Peel show. I do believe, but you'll find that out in this interview, that Vince goes on to be part of another Norwich-based band titled G, Mr. Tracy, and the Big Bang Band. So... Let's just get down to it, really. You don't need to hear any more, do you? So, um, yes, after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. It's a classic opener. Vince, tell us everything now. Well, yeah, I mean, it must have been um, approximately the same time as yours. So I can remember the age of about 13 or 14, musical awakening would have been, and it would have been like T-Rex. And like you say, you know, Hate to say it, Gary Glitter and all of that because it would have fine singles. Um, you know, a little bit of uh, baggage there now, but um, and uh, yeah, and and you, David, I mean, it's, it sounds like I'm perfectly in alignment with you. Um, <laughs> yes, the excitement I, of Top uh, of the Pops. <laughs> yeah, and then I kind of progressed a bit into prog rock, and there's a bit of Pink Floyd, um, and. Uh, Rick Wakeman, I used to love, and Six Wives of Henry VIII, I used to have on a loop when I was about 14 or 15 or so. I was a big fan of um, Mike Oldfield and Tubular Bells. Wow. Um, that's, well, extraordinarily. Bit, yeah, no, it's not, because <laughs> actually what, what happened was that um, I have a brother who's seven years older, and he was perfect for, for prog rock. And um, mm. during that period... Uh, he bought all those records. And also what happened, you know, because I grew up in the countryside in East Anglia, you know, it was very, you know, a village working class background. So we didn't get a record. We hadn't got a record player when I was growing up until about 1972, 73. I think, you know, parents in those days, you know, working class never, you know, they, they never borrowed money, did they? They would sort of like, you know, they sold everything when they got married, you know, just got themselves a place, you know, worked, 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 got some, you know, bits and pieces came into the house. And so, you know, a record player appeared and my brother started bringing in, yes, Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Barclay, James Harvest, the solo work of Rick Wakeman. I know it so well. I'm not boasting, but he did. And he also had Tubular Bells and plus Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. And he said, don't touch my records. And it's like, I won't. But then when he went left the house, I'd sneak in, play them and go, my God, this is so amazing, you know. Vivian Stanchion, you know, King Arthur and, you know, the journey to the centre of the earth and obviously the Six Wives was oh, the, yeah. the classic, you know. So all those albums, you know, close to the edge, mm-hmm. uh, topographic but, but for me, there was an extraordinary pivot around about uh, 1977 with punk, obviously. And I think I remember the first time I heard White Riots by The Clash and thought, this is awful. I, mean, I don't, I just don't understand it at all if I've been steeped in everything from pop and T-Rex through to Rick Wakeman to, to Mike Oldfield, and you first hear Mike Wright by The Clash. And I kind of, I, I, it's very interesting. I didn't understand it at first. Now I think it's the most brilliant thing ever. And, and I did, you know, just maybe it took me a couple of months or something to, to kind of have that, you know, you have to sort of change your filters a bit and the, the, the musical world sort of shifted. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get it. And I don't think, I'm not entirely convinced such a 
a change has happened in pop and rock music since. Such a massive kind of shift from the 70s, you know, the early, what was happening in the early 70s to the punk and late 70s. And then again, there was another little bit of an earthquake when you went into, you know, the, the synth-based uh, techno kind of stuff and uh, post-punk, all that kind of thing. I don't think those those shit, a shift like that has never happened since. Yes. Well, I know John Peel would often talk about that moment when, you know, they saw Little Richard or Elvis Presley, because it was like there was this, that was that kind of moment where, you know, and Lemmy talks about this and David Bowie talks about this because they were all of a certain age where suddenly, you know, it was like, have you just seen that? You know, and, and everyone mm. absolutely hates it and it's absolutely outrageous and they're going to have to ban it. And I suppose that there was those moments that, yeah, it was it was quite a quite something that you know it's kind of strange to think that people could get that worked up about it and now sort of looking at it so um yes mm. interesting time but then where were you brought up actually where did you grow up i mean i was brought up in birkenhead uh which is uh near liverpool listeners it's on the other side of the mersey yes um and um in a place a housing state called uh, woodchurch um, and I left there by the age of 19 or so and headed for the University of East Anglia. Oh, right. Um, so that's how you came to be in yeah. the old, the, the, the fine city that is Norwich. The fine city itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I know um, that um, I think Morrissey has a line about a girl from Birkenhead, didn't he? We took a tattoo girl from Birkenhead or tech somebody. So um, that's where we sort of got to know about it. All right. Um, yeah, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I arrived at the fine city around about um, uh, 79 or so, and that was that was quite a, uh, you know, another kind of tectonic plate shift for me yes. and just opened up some possible music horizons, you know, it was, um, it, was, it was fantastic. So what happened? Why did you end up coming to the University of East Anglia? What was your reasons for that from from sort of Liverpool to the cosy countryside? Well, I, I actually, well, I, I, um, I, I was uh, attracted. <laughs> I was going through the prospectus and I ended up, you know, the degree I was doing was biochemistry, but I was attracted by the fact that it had a student TV station. <laughs> that, was the only, that was the only reason I, I, uh, I, I applied and got in and spent most of my time in this, student tv set nexus tv it's called i'm sure you it must be well known now in, in norwich uh there's even a bbc documentary about it recently radio yeah well i've been in touch with which, somebody which i'm in by the way are you okay because yeah, yeah. i was in touch with a guy um, who was um he did this interview with morrissey in sort of 83 and i and i sort of tracked him down he was like how did you do that it's like it's not that difficult mm. but um yes mm. he you must have met him and probably sort of hung out with him but I'd have to sort of look at my emails in the last two months to find out who oh, that his was. name is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if our paths might have crossed. I don't know. Maybe it was a generation later or something. I don't know. But anyway, so um, we, um, I arrived in uh, uh, UEA, uh, spent most of my time in this student TV station, but started um, rather oddly to exploit the musical possibilities of the equipment that was in this TV station. So I had um, 
uh, and, and, you know, and made friends that I started making music with. Um, I had, uh, and we had no access to any kind of tape recorders or anything like that. Um, but there were video machines with two tracks on them. Mm. So we record, record two tracks on, on, um, on one video machine, a low band pneumatic recorder they were called. Um, and then sort of bounce that between, between two video recorders bouncing backwards and forwards. Quality was appalling, but we were able to layer up um, sounds. So a kind of a, a band evolved from that, which we call Test Card F. And that is the kind of the, the TV reference because Test Card F is the, you know, is the, um, is the girl with the chalk, but you know, Norton Cross's girl. Yes, which is people of a certain generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we just got our hands on low piece, pieces of low, lo-fi uh, modern, what was modern technology in approximately 1981. Yeah, um, but so, so just slightly hitting the pause button there. Um, mm. So look, we had punk, you know, for a few years in the UK and then post-punk and that was all very exciting and scratchy. So what made you sort of feel tempted with the electro, electronic sound? Had you started hearing some kind of German experimental minimalist music from Neu, Kraftwerk? Or, I mean, what was, what was your reason? Because at that stage, you know, I'm always a little bit rude about the Norwich scene because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great rock and roll world, city, was it? I mean, it was lovely, but mm. let's face it, Cherry Red Records aren't going to put out a triple CD of Norwich bands from the 80s. <laughs> Well, it was, yeah, yeah, it was quite quirky, and and absolutely, Kraftwerk was the was the was the inspiration. It was oh, kind of, Laurie Anderson. Uh, sorry, Laurie Anderson. Did she sort of come into your? Oh yeah, no, it was Laurie Anderson. Well, well oh, Superman and all that. Yeah, yes. that was around at the time, and um, Einstein Neubarton, or whatever the called, but the, who was that other? Oh, there was, there, was, there was an amazing German act, which was just like a drummer and a synthesizer, and that was it. Ah, oh, what were they called? They were really hardcore sound. Oh, I can't remember. There was DAF. Was it DAF? Um, DAF, that's them. Yeah. Deutsche Menschenfreundschaft. Yeah, Deutsche, I, mentioned, mentioned yeah, I know, it all sounded very scary. Um, <laughs> we were kind of led into it because we were excited by those sounds, even though Kraftwerk was getting quite old by then. It was, you know, at least eight years old. Uh, and um, But we, we, the few tools that we had seemed to point us in that direction. Yeah. I don't know. We hadn't really thought it through, really, to be honest. No, um, we're just but you were, but you were in your first year. In the in the sort of student union nexus place, just thinking, mm. I want to be in a band. This is quite exciting, isn't mm. it? This is what being a student's all about. That and yeah, I mean, smoke and roll. Uh, yeah, it was just so it's just meeting a lot of people and like-minded people and having some facilities and some places to go and and rehearse and think think stuff up and using any bits of low tech that we can we can um, we can find. In fact, I've got this to uh, I have. One of these were a real inspiration. Absolutely. I'm holding in my hand a, a Casio VL tone, which, let me switch it on. It makes a bit of a cracking noise. <laughs> but, hang on a minute, it does this. Oh, my God. I thought that is fantastic. That I'll is the future. Hang on. Yeah. 
And then we could listen to that all day. That would that wouldn't drive the neighbor mad. <laughs> Or the cats. Um, yeah, nice. So when did you sort of go from being, you know, the, the Rick Wakeman meets Mike Oldfield, but probably with less kind of, you know, musical talent? I'm not saying you haven't got musical talent, but they were quite... Oh, you know, I am. <laughs> um, they, 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 exactly because all those the, people the had moment. a kind of, they had a kind of classical background, didn't they? And, and various kind of mm. piano lessons from the age of three, probably. So well, they had that kind of I, ability. I mean, the rule was you, you kind of couldn't you couldn't be in both camps, could you? You couldn't really, even though I suspect most people did. It would be you know it would have a few Pink Floyd albums and a few Clash albums. Um, but uh, the moment I sort of switched from one to the other, that would have been about nineteen eighty, right. guessing something like that. Matching yeah. up with the time when I started becoming a student and, and mixing with people and starting to. I don't know think if people see Pink Floyd were one of those bands that. People like to be get stoned to, didn't they? That was the thing about Pink mm. Floyd. You know, that had that, yeah. and they had the lyrics, didn't they? Of you know, wish you were here, and you know, everyone would get sort of, I don't know, romantically depressed about it, and then smoke some more. Mm. So that that was kind of, I think, the, the the joy of Pink Floyd. Though, you know, there was the T-shirt, the famous punk T-shirt, wasn't there? So um, I don't know. There was a lot of posturing going on at that stage. But then, did you also come into contact with the, you know, the you know, I have to mention these, you know, the Arthur Smiths, the Terry, Terry Edwards gang, the Higsons, Serious uh, Drinkins, the Farmers Boys. Were they people that you, you at all kind of met? No, I never met um, um, Arthur Smith. Uh, definitely um, uh, the Higsons a bit and Terry um, particularly. Um, I think I, about 20 years later, we made some brief contact and bumped into him somewhere. Um, so, yeah, we kind of, uh, knew each other a bit and we'd be sort of playing on the same bill occasionally um, I think though you know my mind my memory's a bit blurred yes um, it's 40 years ago I'm, I'm not surprised yeah. so when did yeah. you form, yeah. you know you got the, the the name which is always important identity you got the Casio mm. Casio synthesizer when did you sort of form the band with there was three of you isn't there Alpha 7 was that really a person yeah, that's that. Well, that's Alpha Seven's a side project, a later side project of Pete, uh, because the, the original um, Test Card F was uh, me, uh, Pete Roberts, uh, John Hartwell, and Sue Hope. So there's four of us. Um, Sue's on vocals. Um, Alpha Seven was a later project of uh, Pete, uh, a friend of mine. I've kept in touch with. I mean, now by coincidence, live close, quite close to each other in um, South East London, as it happens. Um, uh, so yeah, that's what Alpha Seven is. Peter Peter's often been known. He's to this day as Pete Castio because um, John Peel mistakenly got his name wrong. He's, he's reading out something, um, you know, on keyboards. Pete Castio, sorry, Pete Roberts, because <laughs> he was supposed to play, say that Pete Roberts was playing a Casio, and he called him Pete Roberts, known as Pete Castio ever since. Excellent. <laughs> he's with a, a, a slip of. Uh, of John Peels. And but just anyway, to say uh, that Pete, the Pete Roberts is famous for also recording lifts, famous lift journeys of Norwich, isn't he? Oh, yeah, 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 that was great. Yeah, he got on the uh, Today programme, Radio 4, with that, I think. Yes, um, I'm sure he went to Gerald's. That was a classic lift. Yeah. Well, it's one of those, like, brilliant ideas. Um, and uh, a lot of um, what Pete does is... Uh, 
kind of he's very interested in ambience type stuff, ambience sounds, and that you know, falls well into that category. And he had just had this brilliant idea of, of doing these journeys. Um, you know, often often there are musical journeys, aren't there? But they're usually a bit more horizontal. Yes, um, <laughs> this is so, true. Yeah, horizontal journey, brilliant idea. Yeah. yeah. So when did, so as the band formed, and I mean, you got a John Peel session in '82. When was the first mm. time you sort of went into the studio? I just wondered because you got. Um, I was looking. I've been listening today um, on Bax Records. You put out two singles, Bandwagon T- Tango, and also Third Stroke. Yeah. So this was kind of mm. like towards the, I suppose, the latter half of your degree. So, so the John Peel session came the year before. Mm, yeah, I think I. I think that I'm pretty sure that was the first time we were ever in an actual proper recording studio uh, when we did that. And it was in Maida Vale. Yes. Uh, Can you, you remember who your producer was? It wasn't Dale Griffith by any chance, was it? It was. That was it. Yeah. Oh my Thanks for reminding me. He must yeah, have Del, hated you. Dale Griffin, I think it is. Dale Griffin, yes. But he's, he's such you, a. Everybody, I mean, it's the one thing about doing this show because everyone does a John Peel session. They go, they normally say something about him, which I couldn't repeat on air, but um, it's it's quite blunt. They haven't forgot him or forgiven him sort of 30 decades, uh, 30 decades, 30 years, 40 years later, actually, Dale. So, really? Uh, I've never, I've never I hadn't heard of this. <laughs> they said he's an utter... Um, but yeah, well, I think I think because because he was he's a, he was a muso and these indie bands would turn up and they didn't really know what they were doing or they were just having a bit mm. of a go and it was like don't hassle us, Dale and he was like, you know, you got four hours and you, you can't even play your instrument so it was like oh okay sorry about that so um yeah that was a, there was a lot of tension I think with a, band, a lot of bands from Dale but then the, he got a really great you know recording and a sound so. Well, I remember it going well in late into the night, and I've never heard of this about um, Dale. He's no longer with us, is he? Um, no, he and, can't defend himself. Like I say, we must, of course, want to. Good. I think they they put went the extra mile for us and stayed late. Um, and to get you, the job. I you, don't remember any tension. No, no, there was no musical differences at this stage because you mm. did your you did four songs, which is pretty impressive, and it had the full lineup of the band in it as well. Did you um? Did it was it all very well rehearsed, so you knew exactly what you were doing? I suppose I don't I don't rehearsed is the words, but I kind of knew exactly what we kind of needed to do. I do remember there being. Um, someone mentioning either Dale or someone that the thing with appeal session is you're supposed to really turn up and play live and they record it well we can't you know at that point we had no way of properly playing live we we didn't understand the two ways you can use a recording studio once the sort of the build up the layers kind of as you normally would or yes. to come in play it live kind of thing uh, we had no idea we just showed up in a van with our bits and pieces um so we we sort of we weren't, weren't rehearsed in the sense that we were playing it live but we knew exactly what notes went work kind of thing yes well that's good i think there was i think a few bands had that issue didn't they actually of um wanting to have a pre-recorded you know tape and sound and having sort of issues and you must have been incredibly pleased with the results of, of that session oh, yeah well yeah we definitely it was it was you know, bearing in mind I was um, you know a teenager on a housing estate, but three years earlier, and then I found myself in you know 
what looked like the world's largest recording studio <laughs> in London, London of all places. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was sounding fantastic. And, you know, my, my mind was blown by the whole experience. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just great. And made a, it got a great um, sound out of it. And I'm not surprised the gear they had. And there's, you know, there were assistant recording engineers and, I can remember them wheeling pieces of equipment down the corridors and running off and getting extra bits and pieces to make us sound better. Uh, yes, yeah, and it was it had a distinct sound apart from you know the synthesizer. It was also Sue's vocals incredibly. They kind of juxtapose uh, juxtapose that mm. kind of sonic soundscape really well. Yeah, yes, yeah. She had a very recognisable voice, voice, a great tone. Yes. Because years um, later, there was a band called the Dogface Hermans. And I know that, the, you know, again, they had sort of quite an interesting indie sound, but more of that kind of, I suppose it was that New York scene from the, yeah, no wave scene they referred to. They, a lot of bands on Z record label that also, there was a compilation with Brian Eno that he'd put together. And they, they sort of brought together sort of funk and African music as well as kind of, kind of those kind of scratchy guitar sounds. But often, you know, with a, uh, with this particular band, the Dogface Hermans, the woman singing, who I think his name is Monica, but it might be wrong, she had a quite an operatic, not operatic, but it was a very clear and solid voice. And I sort of found out that she had been a member, or her family had been, of the Salvation Army. So she sort of was singing in this style. And I just wondered what Sue's background of, of singing had been, because again, it was very distinct, wasn't it? It wasn't sort of trying to be a rock, you know. It- no, no, it wasn't. And we, my originally came across it. I was kind of introduced by a, a mutual friend, and we saw it. It was at uh, it was at UEA, and it was some kind of talent contest. And she did did this amazing impression of Kate Bush. <laughs> it came on as Kate Bush, and you'd kind of you know it's like being in the same room kind of thing. And she did this Kate Bush number, and then this mutual friend said, "You you, you, know, you need a singer for your your act." Because at, at at one point I was doing the vocals for it as we were kind of trying to figure the whole thing out and it was absolutely appalling um and um yes this uh, mutual friend put us together and it, when you listen to it you can actually hear a sort of northern kate bush yes. going on <laughs> if you listen closely well, think about it, it in the retrospect and had you started playing live at this stage around the uea the barn yeah yeah, round up then. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure we must have played the barn and uh, whites in Norwich, and uh, we did a lot of supports. Um, and your image, is, you went for for a slightly clean, tidy shirt and tie look, didn't you? Early, yeah, I think. Uh, again, just want to say I'm not entirely sure we totally thought it through, and it was kind of of its time and maybe a little bit of a nod back to craft work i think in in uh, some of our early gigs there were, there were definitely ties involved I'm, I'm trying to think now i'm trying to remember some of the few photographs that we got um but yeah there was a, a nod towards the craft worky kind of kind of image yes there's a lovely picture i think you must be um 
in the underpass around the city and there's the sort of the four of you on the steps looking down and it's just a really mm. nice black and white photograph that someone's put up actually and at this stage had you were you looking at music as a possible like this could be it you know with that kind of youthful excitement oh yeah definitely i, I didn't see you know anything there wasn't anything that i wanted to do um i wasn't particularly interested in my studies in any way uh, I was just there because I was there because it was kind of what you did. Um, I I hoped that my dreams were were just to become some kind of pop star, you know, just to be able to sit and write music and make a living out of it. Um, sadly, it wasn't to be. No, um, that, that was you... well, that was certainly the ambition. Because, because having done this show for a long time, there was there's, there's most bands have this five year narrative, as, as you probably gather. Mm. You know, they get together, they have the twelve months, they get a single. You know, John Peel plays it. They get the John Peel session. They then, um, yes, they 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 then get that first album. Things going quite well. Do a bit of a tour. Things going really well. And then there's that slightly tricky the second album problem, which can be a little bit hard work. And I just. I just wondered what it was like for the band. And also the other thing that happened during that period was that unemployment was quite easy to come by and sort of job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance schemes. So people were able to sort of, for a while, sort of have some almost, you had a grant probably, but most other people had a sort of indirect grant from the government as they tried to massage the sort of unemployment figures. So I just wondered, you know, if the band had a slightly similar sort of story. Yeah, it sounds about it. I've, actually, the band itself was most active when I'd actually left UA at that point, so about 82, 83, 84. So I was just kind of unemployed uh, and, uh, on the dole at that time, uh, making you know, a few bob here and there, but really concentrating on you know, trying to get something uh, going with the band. Um, but yeah, it's like you say, that narrative, that, that must be very familiar to a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> they love it and did you all live in the same house together by the way on wingfield road is this oh some... we did yeah we did just at one point oh thanks for reminding me <laughs> yeah uh, all yeah, the wingfield great bands road, do yeah. don't they yeah test card house um there might be a blue yeah, plaque there. summer um, there must be a blue plaque. there isn't there should be um yeah we did live there uh, for a while and then um we started we sort of um i know you said split up but you know i mean we, we went and lived in various other places again my memory is getting a bit vague at this point but yeah we definitely all did live like we were like you know the the beatles in our days night or the monkeys or something like that we all actually lived in the same house yes i think all of us in this house I think all the great bands have that period where they sort of work together, they live together, they have ideas, it's all going terribly well, and then it doesn't. And did you did you sort of keep the same lineup? Did Sue keep on vocals or did she eventually I mean how no, did the well, well that's well that's the thing that that probably is another similar narrative that, that many bands have. Um we um uh when we left, I think we all left in 1982. Um, you know, John, Pete and me uh, left university um, and just sort of went on the dole and, and progressed with the, uh, with the, with the band. Uh, Sue, however, had a, a different trajectory. And so she um, uh, went and uh, she got a job with, I think it was Marconi. It was something to do with 
designing missiles or something. Something that was quite uncool at the time. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but she, which is fair enough, she um, went off. And, you know, had a career. So right, that's it. I'm off. Which I was, I was well miffed at the time. But it's not good. You know, not have the kind of commitment that uh, the rest of us uh, had. Um, it turns out she was uh, doing it for uh, for fun, which is in retrospect. <laughs> Fine, you know, we, we, perhaps we should have um, you know, took the, the same attitude. So yes, yeah, so she went off to uh, get a proper job, and then we, uh, I think, we recruited a series of other singers to kind of to record stuff. I think our second single was because was there another singer. singer called Rebecca who came along? There was, yeah. So there was, yeah. So Rebecca recorded the second single, uh, and then uh, we, we did some gigs with various other singers um, but you can see the cracks appearing already uh, in this we, we weren't really kind of a cohesive unit uh, at this point so um i think uh, yeah, it, it just sort of slid downhill a bit at that point and then we had to call it a day i think yeah but you'd recorded two singles with Bax records hadn't you yeah which is uh, good right, yeah. and you recorded at this famous studio in cambridge which was space was called space wood yeah Ward studios which yeah, is run by right. joe ball 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 so joe boy so there you go so um yeah because actually a lot of people i mean when you look at that cv of people who've recorded there it's incredibly impressive and i know some people try and collect or listen to everything that's ever recorded there because it's got a special vibe as some of these students mm. do so can what's your memory of going there did you go there once or twice well, that's a good question we must have i've got no recollection recording the second single we must have gone back and i don't i don't know the answer to that question worryingly <laughs> um, we must have done. We must have gone there twice. I can definitely remember being there once and recording the first single, Bank of Bank Tango. Definitely. Um, I don't remember um, the second single. Uh, Third stroke. I yeah, I remember loading all our equipment into the um, into the studio. Which that's another thing. Does it? Looking back, at things in retrospect, there are things that you don't really realise at the time. That. We, and I, I didn't know it, that we had quite a, a unique sound because we had no, we couldn't afford any instruments. So the synthesizer we had was one of the cheapest synthesizers you can possibly buy, which was the Wasp synthesizer. We had uh, the Vialtone, I've just shown you before, the, yeah. the, the trio kind of thing. Um, and we had a really poor uh, drum machine. Um, so we were kind of looking around um, University House, the Students' Union, um, and... Uh, I found these the waste paper bins scattered around uh, the building, and they're all metal bins looking just like drums. So you, you try banging some of these, and you think, oh, this is quite a good sound to mix in with everything else. So we had those, and we also, there were also coat racks dotted around the building as well. So we snaffled um, some of those so to hang bits of metal bins, you know, a mug, beer glass kind of thing. So to have all these clanking sounds and uh, I've realised in retrospect I didn't realise at the time we were just doing it because we had nothing else that that, that had a, a kind of a, quite a USP that you know we were the band with the cheap synthesizers oh a far fiesa organ I had or I bought out of the um, the second hand um, adver advertising pages of the uh, Liverpool Echo 
Excellent. Just before I came over, just before I came over, it's, it's really cheap. I bought it for eighty quid, I think. And just and on that, sort of on that front, did you so. um, did you used to go to Eric's in Liverpool quite a bit during? Oh, your... I did. Yes, yeah, very familiar with Eric's. So you would have Ran come across sort of... big in Japan and Bill Drummond, and yeah, yep. the Wild Swans, yeah, and yeah, not Wild Swans so much, but um, um, uh. What called? Oh, teardrop explodes. I uh, was, I was at school with the keyboard player from Teardrop Explodes, as it happens, in the same class. Right, uh, David David Balf. Oh my he, goodness! He ran he ran, uh, he ran um, food, food records. records, and he is the inspiration yeah. to the Blur song, isn't he? Oh, we, um, um, yeah, the one about the big living in the big country house. Yes, yeah. I know. He did very well. Yeah. Now, here's, there, now, there's someone who had a trajectory in the music business that I would have liked. But there you go. <laughs> so um, then, so, I mean, so you got, so was it kind of 84 was your, you did throw third stroke and um, if only, yeah. if only if it wasn't, because um, you had also won the battle of the bands hadn't you as well earlier yeah that's right yeah and was this a and ua the, thing or a norwich based um competition well, the battle of the bands yes it was yeah well there's a little bit of a story behind that it was it was a national competition properly funded um somehow i'm not entirely sure by who um and uh, they'd have regional competitions uh, one of which was in uh, norwich and the um, the big prize, if you, you get through a, a regional um, competition and you go down to the you know the big one in London, which I think was at the Hammersmith Odeon, it was it was due to take place, and the winner of that would win uh, a ten thousand pound advance, and they would be signed up to some label or other. So we thought, oh, this sounds great. Um, so we took part in the competition and we won it, and that was you know that was a high moment. It was uh, it was great. Um, but then we had a look at the contract that we'd signed <laughs> and, and it was really not quite, you know, it sounds great. 10,000 pounds. And when you're on the dole, yes, 10,000 pounds has a certain ring to it. In 81. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, that was back in the time when 10,000 pounds was a lot of money. Could have bought a house. Um, yeah. But there's a but, uh, isn't and, there? There is a but, this. But, yeah. So, so it, it meant you were permanently signed if if you won the um the main competition you know the final you would be permanently signed to some record label i can't remember who it was and they would give you in inverted commas only ten thousand pounds and it was actually really a really bad deal <laughs> um so we got through to the final and uh, we didn't show up i'm embarrassed to say oh no yeah, yeah. We, we took the decision not to go and apparently we weren't the only ones a lot of the bands in the finals. We weren't the only ones not to show up. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you made the right decision, didn't you, really? Unless it was just... To... It was on on paper, when you looked at it, actually, it was uh, it, it was definitely not in the band's uh, interest. No, there you go. So sort of... 80... And who remembers a winner of the Battle of the Bands now? And it's never going to happen, is it, really? But um, no, no, it's an uncool thing. But then sort of as the 80s were progressing, were you, had, had you started seeing people, you know, like your 
orchestral maneuvers in the dark and joy division and soft cell i mean were these all people that you were quite influenced by and thinking yes this we're on the right track this is new music we're on the cutting edge we're, oh, yeah. we're on the we're, we're definitely the zeitgeist here yeah we definitely felt we were we were you know in with we were on the same lines of, you know, particularly orchestral maneuvers used to love them. And they're from my neck of the woods um, anyway. So um, we, we were definitely on the right lines and doing the right kind of things, making the right kind of sounds. But sadly, um, you know, my songwriting skills were not exactly <laughs> up to the scratch required to be another orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Um, but yeah, you know, to answer your question, yeah, we felt we, we were right yes. at the cutting edge. We were doing the thing that everyone is doing at that time. Yes, but Great Yarmouth didn't love you, did they? I got the impression from reading some article that um, you, you didn't manage to play the entire set without somebody pulling the plug saying, we won't be hearing from them again. Is this true? Uh, where, where was this? Great Yarmouth. Did you play a gig in Great Yarmouth? Oh God, yeah. At the big oh, apple. No, no, that's ah, well, that's that's going back a bit. That was before um, we had Sue on vocals. Sadly, that was me on vocals. It was one of our very. It might have even been our first gig. I remember. I distinctly remember setting it up, and I sent them a tape. It was a. It was in Great Yarmouth, and I can't remember what the venue was called. But they put bands on. I thought, oh, we'll go and play there then. Sent them a tape. Said, yeah, we'll book you. We'll pay you twenty quid or something. Um, and we played, and it, it was it was just kind of hard rock, heavy metal venue, <laughs> and there was it was it was you know it was just a scene in 1974, there was just lots of people with long hair and you know greasy leather jackets and stuff, um, and we, and and to be fair, we did um, we played our set, and it there was there was no animosity towards us from it, it, you know it's not that cliche where we weren't canned off stage or anything. There was just kind of all I remember is just like deep disappointments. You know, we, we come for a night out on a Friday, yes, and we've got these synthesizer things. Where's where's the hard rock? And you, yeah. you kind of disappear. And yeah, I think I think the uh, whoever's DJing it, um, uh, yeah, said something disparaging at the end. And we'll never we won't hear from them. Uh, I think he said he might have said we won't hear them at this place at this venue ever again, which was absolutely right because they, <laughs> they said we weren't going to book us again, but. Because we contributed to a kind of disappointment, disappointing evening, a fight did break out among the clientele, and I definitely have a memory of a of a bar stool flying over the bar and smashing into the into the you know the bottles and glasses beyond the bar, which we were kind of responsible for. But it it wasn't it wasn't that kind of thing. It wasn't like in a you know one of those comedy feature films where the band gets hated and the fight breaks out. Yes, but a fight actually did break out. <laughs> Like the Blues Brothers playing behind you. Yeah. Then was it also true? I think it was round about then. I thought, you know, you know what, doing vocals is—I don't think that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to take. So, did also because from this report, did the police storm the building? Was that just has that been fabricated, or was that true as well? And you had to run to, into the van. The, 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 I, th- I think police were called. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure they would have been since an actual fight had broken out in a bar. And we did, I do remember piling into a van and trying to get out there quick, but more out of embarrassment really than, you know, than fear for our lives. You know, I, I could, I could hype up this story to, yeah. to stay no, run, running for our lives. But we did, I, I remember I was driving the van and I was doing a really quick three point turn to get out of there. Cause I just thought <laughs> I'll get out of it. And I did hit another car 
I definitely reversed into another car. Don't know how much damage I caused because it just accelerated out. You got there. away with it. It was 40 years ago. They've let it go. Yeah. There's no, yeah. no, no one's going to know. But did, um, yeah, because you did support orchestral manoeuvres in the dark and also mm. SPK as well, didn't you? So you did have quite a yeah. lot of good supports at this stage. Were you going around the country at all or were you supporting bands mostly? No, no, we never, no, we never really toured. You know, some of our really good supports were at the UEA. Um, right. Because, yeah, we had the contacts there and everything. No, yeah, that was great. I think... I don't think we even ever played in London. I don't remember once we played in Peterborough. I think it was about as far as we got. Um, yes, because... Yeah, so, John, no, we never... Because what I was going to say, because John, your your other member of the band, he is he is Deaf Jeff, isn't he? He is the famous Deaf Jeff, the PA person. He does... No, 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 John, no, he's, he's, um, he's, Jeff, he's Jeff's assistant. He started getting work. So there was Jeff, who always used to do our PA. Yes, and and uh, I think John just used to get on with him, and he became um, just started working for Jeff as Jeff's assistant, right. and started taking on his style a lot, and starting to look a little more and more like Jeff as the, as the months went by. Um, and, so, okay, uh, so the yeah, photograph, so so the photograph of the band, and it looks like Jeff isn't Jeff; it's John in this photograph because it does look very like him. Well, I don't know the. Yeah, I don't know the photograph you, you're, um, you're referring to. I'll have to, to. Yeah, so I'll have to have a look no, at the but, but there's, yeah, don't, don't confuse your Johns with your Jeffs, wherever you do. No, I shouldn't do that, should I? That would be a disaster. But yes, yeah. there you go. So, so you've got some good rock and roll stories. So 84, a big year. I know, you know, I just remember because of the Georgia Orwell, it was this big turn, you know, like build up to 1984. And also, you know, the indie world had really exploded in 83 with the Smiths and, and there was a sort of a real surge of sort of indie bands appearing as well. So what was, it, what was 84 like for you and the band and your musical direction? Um, well, it was, I think it was a time where, like I said, the, the cracks were appearing a bit because um, we, we couldn't really find a singer who'd commit to us. We were having sort of people in the, the guest basis and we kind of done our appeal session. That was about, that was about it. And I think um, backs were, I think they would get starting to get a bit bored with us as well because we'd done two singles and that's, that's it. You know, we couldn't make any breakthrough further than that. Um, I don't think the songs that I was coming up with were particularly brilliant around about mm. that time. They were okay, but not fantastic. Um, so yeah, 84, 85-ish. Um, it's, yeah, we, we're starting, starting to sort of hit the, uh, get our feet stuck in the mud a bit. Yes. And did time. you have a moment where you sat around the, you know, the, the, the table in the pub, you know? What was your favourite pub in Norwich, by the way? Oh... Was it the plasterers? The plasterers, yes. We remember yeah. it well. Just near the jacquard, wasn't it? In that direction. Yeah, 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 that's right. Is it? Yes. Kind of on the corner. It was, just down, down the street. Yeah, plasterers, yeah, certainly plasterers. And did you famous. did you all sit round the table and have to admit this was going to be the end? To no, Jim I, no, I don't think there's ever uh, addressing the subject. I think it's probably the story with a lot of bands, the the, the, the Sort of contact with each other gets sort of gets slower and slower and more intermittent, and rehearsals get fewer and fewer. Yeah, um, I don't ever remember even having any kind of uh, kind of conversation uh, about it. Um, I myself was uh, going off in another direction 
anyway, because I'd start up um, this act called G Mr. Tracy at that point. Um, and we were doing stuff then. That, that was kind of gaining a bit more traction then. So I was probably my focus was being probably pulled in other directions. Um, uh, but the, it, it was a shame then about Tesco Death because that was the, it was the, the love of creating songs uh, and sounds which were original was great. The only problem was that it wasn't very good. <laughs> it could have been could have been a lot better. Yes. Um, so, so G, Mr. Tracy is another. I mean, just sticking a little bit with Tess Cardiff because it just make it a bit easier before we go on to your other musical combo. But Cherry Red mm. Records brings out a compilation, don't they? Decades later, not, well, two thousand and nineteen, yeah. which is electric, electrical language, independent synth pop. And there it is. Yep. And you appear yep. on it. Um, so, so when well, did you got, did, when did you get the call or the email to say, oh, well, we... when they made this, so that would maybe two, two, maybe three years ago, something like that. And out of the blue, they got in touch. Um, did you own your and, copyright, you know, publishing and everything for the test card? If uh, not really, and I think when you know on our scale and with such long amounts of time involved i'm not entirely sure anyone's too worried no, about that no. kind of thing to be honest i don't think Bax records exists as an entity um and um i'm, I'm just getting the impression that when no one's really worried about the paperwork no yeah. i wouldn't have thought but yeah so they wanted a, a track for for the compilation or did they say we've already got this track mm. Yeah, they got in, they got in touch and um, just said we like we're doing this sort of compilation CD and we'd like to put you on it. I thought it's got to be some kind of a joke. I can't, can't believe it. Who, who else have you got on it? Oh, the Human League orchestral maneuvers. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and we said well, we haven't got any master tapes or anything like that to give you. You know, they're all long lost. We just got like you know um, forty five wax uh, vinyl records you know and said oh that's not a problem we just we do that all the time so we just dub over from uh from a sync from the vinyl single and they stuck us on this um compilation cd it's a four four cd um uh, a compilation with uh, 80 tracks on it looking at it. i've got it in my hand here and it, it's a uh, it felt great because it's what it is. I mean, it's, it's catch line. It says independence, British synth pop, 1978 to 1984. And it's kind of a, a record. You know, it felt like we'd you know, made our mark kind of thing. We're remembered after yes. all these years. I mean, it's we fantastic. part of a thing in a way that we didn't quite know or realise at the time. I mean, I would I'd be astonished to, to think that anyone was still talking about this 40 years later. You know, we're not exactly the biggest and most influential act in the world. But yet, nevertheless, Cherry Red Records, of all people, we finally got on Cherry Red Records after all this time. They got in touch and saying, yeah, we really um, liked your... Uh, and the guy was really nice about it. He said, um, I can't remember the guy who's behind it, but he said, genuinely, I really did like Bandwagon Tango, which was the track they put on this um, CD. Uh, and he put it on disc one of, of the four discs and 80 tracks. It's actually track number seven. 
I know. So, I yeah. mean, I was, I was looking at what else is on there, and it is. I do think mm. these compilations are amazing. Actually, there are so many good labels. Yeah, everyone's just been really excited about you know this '80s period and all these very obscure mm. bands. You often, you know, for a lot of them, have just put out a few singles, a couple of flexi discs, split up, and then somebody. I don't know. There's Cherry Red. There's also another one called Fire Station Records and Cloudberry. And Optic Nerve Records in Preston, and and they just love finding these little compilations, putting out either mm. you know printing up a thousand, and off they go around the world. But this one from Cherry Red, because it's kind of one of those ones in the series, I would imagine they've done very well with it because it's uh, eighty tracks, four seasons, mm. and um, yeah, they've got a big. I mean, they've just got they're so well known, so it's going to be all over the world, isn't it? Basically. I wonder how many they got printed. Yeah, and I think it's just a reflection of the, it was a moment of time that there was a certain very distinctive style and sound um, uh, coming out of the country. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, I don't, don't want to be derogatory to the musicians of the time, but you can't imagine a similar thing from, uh, you know, indie acts in 1973 or something, you know. Not, no, I don't Not, think. not that they existed either. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. There was a, there was a certain sound. There was a certain thing going on with, with synthesizers and electronic pop music. Yeah, absolutely. between seventy eight, between seventy eight and eighty four, approximately. That there has no other similar thing going on. You know, in like nineteen sixty eight or nineteen seventy two or whatever. Yes, and then with that excitement, was it the case that you? reformed or decided to put out another single on Bandcamp seconds away? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, off the, um, well, inspired by this, um, uh, we um, oh, kind of reformed. It's just me and Pete now. I've, you know, I've uh, lost contact with John. Hello, John, if you're listening. Yes. And what um, about Sue and Rebecca? No idea. Whether I could probably track them down there. Facebook as you can these days, and they're, they're probably on LinkedIn. <laughs> they could be. <laughs> I, I might have a look. <laughs> the, the trouble with, unfortunately, on this front, because I've tried, is that often if women get married, I mean, I, this might sound awful, but it's um, it's not really. It's not a hate crime, but it, it's just sometimes people change their surname, and it's like mm. I have no idea. You know, you yeah. kind of you know. Whereas you know, people who don't change their name, you're a little bit more. You've got a better chance, basically. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, I find stalking so difficult because you're used to that. <laughs> I know, it's terrible, isn't it? Um, yeah, I know. Me and my indie world. I am joking. <laughs> just to be clear. Just to be just <laughs> on record. Yeah. So you and, um, was it Pete or John you, you reformed? Uh, Pete, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, who coincidentally just um, um, uh, lives down the road. So... Um, um, and I've been writing music, you know, on and off over the years anyway. So I've got sort of tunes and bits of material all uh, backed up. Um, so with a, um, a friend of mine who we roped in to do vocals, um, Sam Duffy, um, we and it's so easy these days. You can you can just you can just stick something on Bandcamp and that's it. You don't have to find another Bax Records or yes. you know, listen to test pressings and all that sort of stuff that we uh, went through. So. It, it's very uh, easy to do. Um, so yeah, so we um, put out a, uh, a single called um, Seconds Away to uh, very little acclaim. But we did it though, and I got the satisfaction of just kind of doing it. Um, 
and was very pleased with the results and um, still get, um, I got, you know, someone bought a copy of it only just the other day and you know, dotted around the world as the way these things these are, are these days. You know, someone from Russia or something will suddenly pop up and <laughs> bought your record. I think it's great. I think that's fantastic. It's really, no, I love all this kind of mm. stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it makes it kind of more accessible and um, easy. But just then you mentioned, oh, yeah, sorry. Was there more tests? Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, so it's a kind of, it's a thing we want to pursue further. Um, we've always um, struggled with finding someone that, um, to to do vocals for us. So if anyone, if this rings any bells with anyone, uh, if anyone's out there who's interested in this kind of music, and is a female vocalist. I do, by all means, do get in touch. Do you get in touch? And, you know, yeah, and we might be able to do something to her. That would that would be wild. But then, gee, Mr. Tracy. So, did you have a, a moment in the wilderness, or was it just a seamless kind of, kind of in '84? You just slipped straight into this next band, or formed the it next kind band? of. Yeah, it kind of slipped another. It, the, the the thing about um, G. Mr. Tracy, it was it was essentially a joke. Um. Uh, you know, Tesco F was the, the series where you're trying to say something uh, and do something kind of original. Jimis uh, Tracy, which is a, another actor, it was basically me and a guy called um, Brick Smith, who um, who sort of shouted concrete jazz poetry with a very minimal bass line played by me in a drum machine. And that's kind of essentially it. And we we started just doing uh, you know, in-between acts at the Jackard. Yes. Uh, and people from Bax Records are there they're going, this is great. And I'm going, is it? Said, yeah, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Um, we should I do, think we should, I saw um, the band live once in the, um, I think the last ever gig at the Art Centre. And, it, you know, because he, the lead singer from memory tried to have that disheveled, bohemian, wrecked, drunk look, didn't he, with a fag? Yeah, always a fag, fag in one hand, bottle in the other, kip a tie. Loosely knotted, um, uh, with the appearance of being really drunk because he actually was, um, and yeah, the shambles. Very short sets, very short songs. We do two songs, two minutes long, and say we're actually halfway through our set now. <laughs> and do another two songs and then get off. Yes, but you did two um, albums in two years and and released four singles all on Bax Records. So you did have a bit of a an exciting couple of years there. I know, it's, yeah, uh, and it, it was good. And we um, we played, you know, we played overseas. We played in London. Um, we played um, in Spain, and we did a festival in either Holland or Belgium. I can't remember which. Um, and yeah, it was a, that. That was a, that was exciting and interesting. And was and was, and was Rebecca, who was back in vocals, was she also your vocalist in Tess Cardiff at one stage? Yeah, I think didn't she pop up on one of our tracks? I think yeah, I think there must have been a bit of cross fertilization. It is right. possible that she would have popped up on a G Mr. Tracy record. And the famous Howard Turner was your engineer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Howard, because he's he had, he ran the I think maybe the only or the largest recording studio in um, in uh, Norwich. Yes, and he was he was very good. We were all part of a kind of you know a a connection of yeah we all we all had contacts with each other kind of thing it was part of it i wrote a little mini scene and we could use a lot of space in his uh, studio for free but i would work for him a little bit 
or help him out when he's building a new studio or something. Yeah. Um, What's your memory of the playing at the Jacquard? Because that's become sort of one of those clubs that people reminisce with great enthusiasm now. Yeah, it's it's being very small, um, uh, and small and claustrophobic, with a, a few kind of booths and a stage at one end and the bar, bar directly at the back. Um, I remember we got to the point because you within a small family in the scene that I I could just walk in without paying like like I'm royalty um, <laughs> because. Because I was, you know, just well now, just show up and see the woman behind the bar. Hello, Vince. Just walk in. Um, there was always in the corner of the bar, no matter what night it was or whatever was on, there was a continuity presenter from Anglia TV would always be sitting at the same place, propped up at the at the end of the bar, because I think his job was to close down Anglia TV. And Jacquard was the only club with a bar that was open at that time of night. <laughs> so we go in. What was his name? Bacon. Something Bacon. John Bacon. Oh, John I have to Google him now. I know John yeah. Bacon. He, he was knows. always. He was always there. Obviously not for the music because he no. was. You know, he was must have been his. He must have been about fifty or something. Fifty-five. Or something. I think those he, presenters always who, be who'd been around from the sixties, they all used to drink and smoke, didn't they? And they looked like they were. I think they all died mm. quite soon of heart attacks and stuff mm. like that. But I seem to remember, yes, various people that you'd see around. You think, oh, he's on mm. the telly. And you think, my goodness, he looks incredibly wrecked. You know. So, um, <laughs> yes, I think there, that was yeah, a different the, the time. Club, wasn't it? Yeah, and the club, the club was quite a family, um, and. Um, all the bands would play and do their sets, but sometimes there'd be a bit of intermingling. I can remember, you know, in that Norwich kind of fashion, we do we did a night, and it was every song was by Cliff Richard or something. The old I can't remember now. This, you know, it was like one of those sort of little comedy things. Yeah, all a few times I actually played guitar on stage at the, at the Jacquard Club, in that sort of tongue-in-cheek sense of humour, Norwichy kind of uh, kind of way. But it was it was the place. It was the the Eric's Club of Norwich. Yeah, it was the Cavern Club of Norwich. It did have a good vibe. And then, sort of, what happens, kind of, then when? So, was G. Mister Tracy just a just a short project, just to do until you think, yeah, two albums. That's quite plenty. Well, again, I think um, we just rode along with it, and then it, it itself just fizzled out. I think I think I'd got a job in London. I think that was the problem. Um, I'd moved down to London as working in radio, and uh, Tom at Bricksmith, you know, those those of us that knew him called him Tom. Yes. Um, uh, uh, was in Norwich, and I think that kind of fizzled out because I I was just start, started get, focusing on the the job that I was doing um, down in London. Down in London, and so what happened? To, what happened I, to Tom? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He's, um, I know, I, I, I heard of him briefly about 10 years ago because he had an art exhibition on because he was a very talented painter. Right. And he had, uh, he'd done um, portraits in oils, I think, of jazz greats. Um, so what's his name, Tom? Tom Smith. Tom Smith. Again, it's, it's the Smith thing, it's, you know, it's, it's the, uh, it's, the, ma- the male equivalent of a maiden name, you know, 
try Googling. I was trying, forget it. You're going to have to he's, do that. He was there, His name was Brick, Brick Smith. Brick as in, in a wall. And the fall were playing once in Norwich. And he walked up to Brick Smith and said, hey, guess what my name is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some she must have laughed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how they laughed. Yeah. How they laughed. Yeah, with Mark, Marky sort of sneering in the background. So then, mm. is that so for the rest of your life? Was it not rest of, but just generally? <laughs> does music kind of go to the sort of side, and then it's work and careers and ducking and yeah. diving? Yeah, yeah, it, it comes in um, comes in waves. That's you know, I've always found, had great pleasure in just writing tunes, and the technology is is you know, superb now that we didn't have at the time when we were bouncing between the, you know, the, the audio tracks of video recorders. Uh, now, you know, I'm sitting and looking at a, an, a, a, a virtual recording studio with an infinite number of tracks I could, I could use. Yeah. Um, and any instrument uh, I want, um, which actually is, is a bit more difficult than when we were, we were struggling with just a VL tone, a Farfisa organ, and a wasp synthesizer. Sometimes, you know, when you're forced to use limited tools, then uh, you can be a bit more inspired. But uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so I've just tinkered around with the uh, music ever since. And uh, hopefully, Test God F would still be a, a going concern. Yes. Have you got plans to do any expect more? Release. Another rec- have you got any more recordings? I have stuff backed up, I've got stuff written. Um, ready to go. It's just the vocals has always been the problem. Um, um, I've been searching around actively. There are websites now where people kind of, um, you know, you, you can find like-minded musicians. Yes. Um, and uh, and I, uh, I recorded a track with um, a woman just um, just about a month ago. Um, she was enthusiastic at first, and then uh, suddenly went very cool on it. And when she realised the standard of stuff that I was writing, apparently <laughs> not not quite up to scratch. She was good. She was classically trained. Could sing opera and everything. She would be brilliant. Oh. Um, but you've got to be, you know, you've got to like the stuff. You can't just, you know, you can't just do it and not like it. Is, oh, so tricky, yeah. isn't it? Who, who it's wants so to tricky. do that? Yeah. Yes. And look, yeah. if you could have said something to your 16 or 18-year-old self starting out, is there something you would have just kind of thought, God, I wish I'd known this when I was that age, when I was kind of just, you know, had just finished doing my A-levels and about to hit the fine city of Norwich? Yeah. <sighs> mm. um, that's such a tricky one. Like there's like advice to my younger self. Yes, I know. I have to try. Uh, and I just wondered if there was yeah. kind of a couple of things, you know, like over the decades, and with all the experiences, you'd have thought, God, yeah, that would that's something that I would have, yeah, that's something that I've I've learned over over this period. Uh, yeah, I think uh, persevere, and I think if, you, if you're if you're making stuff, it might actually have gone a lot wider than you think it's had. Um, and so, uh, you know, don't be afraid to put out feelers um, to to push what you already have. Yes. Um, because you might be surprised that, you know, someone from 
Cherry Red Records actually knows about you. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? That is just amazing. Mm. Mm. Do you have you ever received a royalty check? Have you almost said, "My God, I've got twenty pound"? Yeah, yeah. We used to. I haven't. I haven't had one for years. Um, but yeah, we used to get uh, royalty. We used to get these big computer printouts um, back in the old days, and you, you got played on Radio One. It was great. You get like seventy quid or something. You get something played on Radio One. Always used to get a. Because it, it was all divided up into um, into regions and nations and stuff, the computer printouts. And we get like, every year we get 50p from Finland. And no idea why. And I think something that I've written is the theme tune to some radio show mm-hmm. in Finland. Some regional, <laughs> some tiny little village on the, on the Arctic Circle has got a tiny radio station and his theme tune is bandwagon tank <laughs> that is something. so cool did you i just remember a couple of years ago i did an interview with this guy who was at the uea was he there at the same time as you this this guy he did uh, a book which is called and he he was from america he came over he did his one year in in the U, at the uea and i suppose actually there is a photograph of him in his student residence that and I just wondered, you went, oh, God, yes, I remember him. Um, Chris Dawes, 81, look, there he is. No, I recognise the wall behind him. Well, funny, they all look like I think, that, you, you know, mean? there's a magazine called Electronic. Electronic? Um, it's kind of like what everyone who's a bit nerdy is into. And the guy who apparently started it is the one who's, who's kind of sitting there having his, you know, mm almost pretended head chopped off yeah. yes. but yeah no, so, I, don't know. I don't know him. so he, this guy was from america but he was obsessed with posters and flyers and he started collecting them and then put this book out and i just thought oh, i wonder if that was around almost the same time as you were there and i thought that would be amazing <laughs> but that that was that was a conversation of killer wasn't it never mind yeah. it's all good i know i know it's yeah. funny isn't it 40 years ago all this stuff becomes like art you know it's suddenly like no it don't throw it in the recycling or yes let's put it out on a nice compilation mm. it's, it's really good you know we need to archive yeah. it and you think mm. you know and i noticed that dear old uh, robert from hawkwind is on that compilation calvert calvert um, the electronic one, and you know, he's one of these kind of you know, everyone thinks he's a sort of um, a mad genius who was a bit also schizophrenic, which doesn't help. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing co- collection. So, I'd love to know how many copies you know, Cherry Red eventually sells of it. Who knows? We'll never, it'd be a, yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I, I, I suspect they sell a lot of copies to all the people who are actually on the compilation, yes, because it's 80 tracks on this. But I'm pleased yeah. they gave you a copy. Uh, they, I think I bought it. Actually, <laughs> I think I actually bought it. Um, I don't remember yeah. it getting there free. You'll notice I haven't opened it. It's still in the shrink room. It's too You've nice seen that on eBay soon. <laughs> there you go. Well, look, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for all this, Vince. This has been amazing. And it's great. Your dog's no just problem. been in the background relaxing. Oh, she <laughs> Rosie. Hello. I've woken her up now. <laughs> I love that face. It was like oh. I didn't spot her though. No, it's, it's always always getting in the act. 
Yes, that's been very good. But look, if you want, I can, um, when I put this out, I can always send you the link and then you can always, you know, put it on your, um, the, 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 the website, the Facebook page of, uh, of uh, the band. And um, you never know, people do love to listen yeah. to them. And bizarrely, I find doing this show, the more obscure the bands, the most popular they are. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because actually everyone's heard the you know most people but it's all these kind of very obscure bands that someone my god i remember that band i love them and and all that and then you know they get kind of a bit of excitement about it to hear the story so i would have seen you with you know g mr tracy so um mm-hmm. sort of i think sitting yeah, down at the was... i think probably on the floor at the premier at the art center and um just doing a set mm, yeah that was a, it kind of annoyed me weirdly because you know, it, at one point the, the, the act that I'd kind of set up as a joke was actually more, more popular than the act that I was pouring, pouring my heart and soul into. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of stick, it's stuck in the crawl a little bit. But, Never mind. You know, what, what, can you, what can you do? There you go. But look, thank you ever so much. And um, look, again, a huge thank you for this. And um, look, I'll keep in touch. But So is this going to... Your radio show? Yeah, so I'll often not... play some of it on the radio show. And I also put it as yeah, a podcast. Whole thing. Put it as a podcast as well, because people, you know, love to hear the, the whole interview. Have you seen my collection? Mm. It's amazing. They love it. So, um, yes, I, I sort of, so people do like listening to the whole story of a band, you know, for mm. some helps them helps them get through life i think and also people love the curiosity of these things so uh yes there you go but look thanks again and um yeah i really appreciate your time so keep well, thanks for getting in touch yeah yes yeah. i know in, uh, yeah if you come across a female singer yes point her, in, point her in our direction i will do anyway look take care thanks a lot yeah and you thank you, nice you. Right. bye-bye nice to speak to you see ya bye and there you go. That is the end, to quote Jim Morrison. A massive thank you to Vince Rogers for giving me the time for that interview. Talking about Test Card F, the early experimental synth pop band based in Norwich. And also G, Mr. Tracy. And I do believe if you go to their Facebook page and just put in Test Card F, there is more information and various other bits and pieces. They seem to be slowly getting, I don't know, on band camp and stuff like that. And uh, they also had a compilation on Cherry Red Records, Electrical Language, Independent British Synth Pop, 1974 to 1984. Four CDs and a massive booklet. Anyway, there you go, check it out. Um, if you want to contact me for some incredibly nice reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86show. And also these have all been archived interviews so you can find those on spotify itunes podbean it's true anyway look have a great week stay safe